There's a popular business slogan who tries to encourage entrepreneurs to start new businesses that says, if you build it, they will come. Will they? Well, the idea is to, is that you, if you work hard and make your dreams a reality, people will be attracted and start coming and you'll be a success. You know, actually this is a misquote of a movie made in 1989 called Field of Dreams. Some of you still remember that movie, right? Talks about an Iowa corn farmer. His name is Ray Kinsella, played by Kevin Costner. And he hears an unseen voice telling him, if you build it, he will come. So it was a misquote. It's he will come. Now it's like they will come. The voice is telling him to demolish his cornfield at a great financial loss and build a baseball diamond bar in the middle of nowhere. And it becomes a field of dreams for the greats like Shoeless Joe Jackson and other dead baseball players to appear and play baseball again. See, they were banned from playing in Major League Baseball because of their involvement in a scandal to fix the World Series. Also becomes a place uh, in, a, in, a, in a time where Ray Kinsler, the farmer, reconciles with his deceased father and also for the community to come and to watch baseball game. You know, it is an uplifting and feel-good movie that instills the hope and reconciliation of that community. In the movie, they came. They came. Now, now that we have built and dedicated the Hope Center, will they come? Who will come? The church has received black eye from the media and the liberal mainstream, and rightly so, because of our own scandals. Reports of sexual abuse, church fund embezzlement, moral failures of church leaders, toxic church culture, domineering leaders, church splits, infightings, has been going on for quite a while. Why should they come? The church in the U.S. is declining. Many churches are closing doors faster than we can replenish them with new ones. Seminaries are downsizing. Even well-known seminaries are downsizing. Church attendance is at an all-time low. And we are moving into a very real post-Christian era. Why should they come? Why, why build more church buildings if they are not coming? Now that we build and dedicate the building, who will come? Now this morning, I'm going to invite the Apostle Paul to address us on how in the face of difficulties and oppositions, the gospel of Jesus Christ advanced despite oppositions from without and from within. Though different sets of difficulties and opposition than us, but the gospel advanced anyway. So Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 21. If you want to join me, uh, and read in the PowerPoint, you're welcome to do so, but otherwise I'll read, and then I'll preach from that passage. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. 
And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry and others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I want to expound that passage in light of what's happening to the church. And I wrestle with this message because I should give a more uplifting message, a nicer, more encouraging, and cast the church in a more positive light. But the reality is not beautiful. And we have to deal with that. And we have to be honest with ourselves. Why build another church? What is that for? Who would come? Who wants to come? And Paul helps us to understand that, why we are still building and dedicate this building together as a church. First of all, verses 12 to, 20, uh, verses 12 to 14, it says the gospel message advances despite imprisonment. See, with Paul being in prison, the Philippians must have assumed that the gospel message is put to a stop or slowed down significantly. But it was quite to the contrary. The gospel message advanced despite the imprisonment. His imprisonment affected three groups of people. The first group is the imperial guards in verse 13. They are the elite military men serving the high government officials. And you would expect the imperial guards to have no respect for cowards and half-hearted individuals. They don't rise to the rank of imperial guards by being sloppy or lazy or lack of discipline. But they respected Paul, the prisoner. When they witnessed Paul's imprisonment for his faith, they respected his conviction, and because they respected his conviction, they also respected his gospel message. If you want people to respect the church and respect the gospel message, you need to earn it. You need to be consistent. And Paul did that. The second group, verse 13 says, all the rest also acknowledged that Paul was doing it for the gospel of Christ. These are the Jews and Gentiles who are not Christians. You see, Everybody is guided by their own worldviews, and so are these people. But they were attracted by the gospel message because they have witnessed the commitment of the gospel messenger, Paul, who was willing to be imprisoned for what he believes. And that probably made them question their own worldviews and wonder if Paul has something better to offer than what they are living for. People who are outside of Christianity will be ruthlessly honest with us when they spot inconsistency and hypocrisy. 
But these people witnessed authenticity in a prisoner for the gospel because he was willing to go all the way for what he believes. And that earned him respect. And the third group of people affected by his imprisonment are most of the brothers in verse 14. These are the Roman Christians who were inspired and emboldened by Paul's courage for the gospel because Paul was imprisoned in Rome. And they, in turn, share the gospel without fear. You see, courage begets courage. The church is revived when the leaders lead by example. Courage begets courage. You know, two things happen when you pay the price for your faith. First of all, it validates the gospel message to the outsiders. Because they know that you only pay the price for a worthy cause. You don't pay the price for a fake Messiah. He better be real if you want to pay the price. But otherwise, if you just want to mess around, you wouldn't pay the price. Maybe just hanging around for a while and then you just disappear. It must be real to them. It validates the gospel message. And secondly, it strengthens our faith of fellow believers. You are only inspired when someone would go that far for a worthy cause. And that inspires us. And the Christians in Rome were inspired by what Paul did. You know, many of you prayed for, you have given generously, participated in the building process of Hope Center. And by the grace of God, your sacrifices have resulted in the dedication of this building and ourselves this morning. But the call to serve sacrificially is still beckoning us as a church. I think the most sad reality that we are facing today is to see children and youth who are in crisis, exposed to gender crisis, exposed to issues of sanctity of life, exposed to gun violence, domestic violence, hatred, cancel culture, fake news, and temptations. The list is go on and on. And you are fully aware as you watch the news or read the social media every day. I'm not talking about high schoolers. It used to be high schoolers. I'm talking about elementary school children now. And that really talked in my heart that our church, who often pride ourselves to have a strong children program and youth program by God's grace, that we really need to do something about that. That we are not sitting here to wait for the children to grow up into youth and for the youth to go out. But we need to go out to where the children are, to where the youths are, and to teach them God's word, and to instill fear of God in their heart as they face a very, very violent world. It's getting more darkening, it's getting darkening, and it's more violent. The question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, how far would you go in advancing the gospel as we dedicate this building and ourselves to the Lord? Secondly, verses 15 to 18, the gospel messenger rejoices. Paul rejoices despite rivalry. You know, among the Roman Christians who were witnessing more boldly because of Paul, there were two groups of messengers, two groups of preachers. 
The motive of the first group was envy and rivalry, it says. They serve out of selfish ambition. And their agenda was to inflict more pains in Paul's imprisonment. You know, maybe, maybe they were overshadowed by Paul's ministry when he came to Rome. And before that, they were okay. Now, like, you know, Paul kind of took over the whole visibility. Now that he is in prison, and they can take back that spotlight and gain more attention. And by getting their, back their reputation, they thought that Paul's ministry is curbed, and now they are in the spotlight, so it must have caused distress in Paul's life. And the motive of the second group was goodwill, having been inspired by Paul's powerful testimony. They served out of love. They believed that Paul was imprisoned for the defense of the gospel. They aligned themselves with Paul. And we would have think that Paul will have to take sides, right? But Paul embraced both groups because he sees a higher purpose that was being achieved by both groups. And that purpose, that higher purpose is Christ is proclaimed. The gospel message is preached. That's what he cares about. And because of that, he says, so what then? What then? It's okay. It's okay. Whether we agree or disagree, Christ is proclaimed. The, go the gospel message is preached. To Paul, that's more important than his personal agenda, his personal reputation. The gospel advanced despite rivalry. You know, conflicts and rivalry will not go away in any community. Our church is not spared from that either. And we honestly tell you that we have our issues and our problems. And try to hold a church with three languages, three cultures, immigrants, senior pastor, American-born associate pastor, all those things, it's really, really challenging. And for the past seven and a half years, I, I, I wrestle with that sometimes sleepless night. But we keep praying for unity. We keep praying for unity. But we must deal with it and not sweep it under the carpet, pretending that we are okay and showing a nice face to the public, thinking that we can, we can fake it out. You know, people see right through you. It's better that we be honest and say, we, we, are, still, we are still in the making to be more Christ-like. That yes, we confess our sins, and yes, we apologize, but it's not going to happen again. We're going to change our structure. We're going to provide a healthy structure. We're going to make sure that we, we care for the victims. We're going to make sure that we deal with it and not just shy away from it. As uh, typical Asians like me, you know, try to avoid confrontations or conflicts. That's not going to go away. It just stay there until the next issue. The gospel messenger needs a higher purpose to remain faithful to his calling. What do you care about? What do you care more than your pet programs or your popularity or your reputation? That says what you really care. That tells of your value system. And finally, verses 18 to 21, there's a commitment to a Christ-centered life. That is the foundation that Paul was able to stand up in the midst of rivalry and still be joyful. That's the main reason why in the midst of oppositions and difficulties, being imprisoned for the gospel, 
the gospel continues to advance because he buy into, he fully subscribed into a Christ-centered life. He said, yes, and I will rejoice. And in this section, Paul looks to the future. He looks to that deliverance and that salvation. He anticipates his physical deliverance from imprisonment. And he also was thinking about the complete salvation that he will see Christ again. So it is more than just physical aspect, but also spiritual aspect, the full salvation that he will experience. And to help him to finish well, he needs both the prayers of the Philippians and the Lord's provision of enablement through the Holy Spirit. Paul doesn't want to be ashamed when he stands before the judgment seat of God. He longs for that day to come. He is confident that he will not be ashamed because of the prayer and support of the Philippians and the Holy Spirit's enablement. He knows that he needs courage to stand before Caesar to defend the gospel. He needs courage. And his greatest desire was that he will exalt Christ, whether in life or in death. And in verse 21, finally, Paul presented his philosophy of life. He says for him, regardless of the decision about whether he would continue to live or die, or the opinions of other people, saved or lost, his whole life revolved around Jesus Christ. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's his philosophy of life. I wish that that can become our life as we follow Jesus as his disciples. And that's why we can deal with fellow preachers who inflict pains on him. That's why he can deal with uh, uh, imprisonment for the gospel and still rejoice in there. And that's why others are attracted by Paul because of the authenticity that is being revealed in his life. So today's message, I want to summarize it in this phrase, that a Christ-centered life enables the gospel message and messengers to thrive, to thrive amid opposition. If you build it, they will come. But who will come? In my application, I want to give you three thoughts. First of all, if you build it, Jesus will come. If you build a church, the building and its members, Jesus will come because that's his church. He comes to claim his rightful place as the head of the church. He comes to set his agenda. He comes to right the wrong. He comes to establish his throne. He comes to draw all men and women unto him. He comes to transform his people. He will come. Jesus will come. And he came to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, Church of Ephesus, Revelation 2.5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your land stamp from its place unless you repent. Jesus comes to confront the church. For the church of Pergamum, he says, therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. Jesus comes to discipline. To the church of Tyre, Tyre, in verse 25, only hold fast what you have until I come. Jesus encouraged the church to endure, to endure. To the church of Sardis, he says, remember then what you received 
and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Jesus calls for vigilance. Church of Philadelphia, I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Jesus calls for patience for the church. And Church of Laodicea, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. And that's an open invitation to draw near, to near, draw near to Jesus. But there's one exception. It's Church of Smyrna. It says, be faithful unto death and I will give you. I will give now. I will give you the crown of life. Jesus offers eternal reward to his faithful ones. You see, Jesus will come. Jesus will come to mold and shape his church as you and me, our people, to be the church of Jesus Christ because this is his church. Jesus will come. And secondly, if you build it, we must come. We must come. We, the people of God, we must come. Hebrews 10, 24, 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good work, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, we must have the courage to come back to in-person worship, unless you have special reasons, to come and pray together, to come and care for one another, to come and reach out to our community to serve our King. You know, in our church, we have about 75% people coming back to in-person worships. And the other 25%, some are high-risk groups. They are not able to come. Some, because of they live and care for their high-risk older parents, they choose not to come. But there are also others who become very comfortable to just join online worship, live streaming, and not coming because of comfort and conveniences. And today... I want to call you and say, no, it's not acceptable. It's not acceptable because Jesus calls you to come and gather together in person and to worship and to care and to build the church. It's just not the same. And you know it. You know it. It's just not the same. Online live streaming can't replace in person. Online live streaming is for a time of crisis. When a crisis is moving behind us, we step up and say, let's come back and do the church together. And if you build it, we must come together. And finally, if you build it, others will come. Despite the scandals, despite the failures, others will come. You know why? Because God the Father draws them. John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. He draws them to him not to an imperfect church, not to an imperfect pastor or congregation. He draws them to him. John 12, 32, Jesus said, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. See, God, Christ, they draw people to him because they are perfect. So when Jesus is lifted up and crucified for our sins, they will come to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin and to be reconciled with God the Father. But they come as sinners saved by grace. That's why they come. And you remember when a woman in an adulterous relationship was caught in the act and was sent before a group of people, and according to the law, 
they want to stone her. And Jesus said, if there's any one of you without sin, you can cast the first stone. And of course, they all walked away. And for people who are willing to come to church, nowadays, we know that we are sinners saved by grace. We are not any better by those who are caught in the act. And there are many, many who are not caught in the acts. And you and I are one of those, if you're honest, that we have many, many things that we have done against God and people, and we were not caught. We come as sinners saved by grace. Philippians 1.6 says, I'm assured of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Only by the grace of God, by the sustaining power of God, that we are able to finish well. This is not an excuse. This is not an excuse not to put in a healthy structure. This is not an excuse not to build caring for the victims. This is not an excuse to say it's okay because we are imperfect. And not to deal with it, it is not acceptable. But we also recognize that we are still being molded by God to perfection. And perfection can only happen when, he, when we see Him again. So they will come, not because we have perfect leaders or perfect church, but because we have perfect gospel message that proclaims a perfect Savior. Yes, it's a dire situation. Christianity is in decline. Scandals are still breaking out. And we receive black eyes from, rightfully so, from the media and liberal and, and, and others who have issue with church. But we have to be willing to admit that, yes, we have issues that we need to deal with. Just being nice is not enough. We have to deal with that. But God is good. He will come, and we must come, and He will call others to come, those who are called by Him, and they will respond to God. And that's our hope. And that's our hope.